Well, it's great to, uh, to be here with my uh, good friend, uh, Father John Baer. Um, Father John and I have been friends uh, for nearly 20 years, and uh, we have done uh, much of our work together in the sense that we completed our PhDs about the same time and work in some very similar areas and have had conversations um, in just about um, annually with uh, one another, not only about the fathers, but about the scriptures. And uh, what I wanted to do tonight is to uh, take a few moments to uh, offer somewhat of a contextualization to our reading of the, of the Gospels and how we might think of them um, in ways that in, enable us to see them not as just a, a midpoint in a longer story, but as the summary of that story, and in particular, uh, summing up uh, all that is to be said about God at work in Christ reconciling the world uh, to himself. Now, oftentimes we go to the Gospels to get facts, facts about Jesus. Uh, we treat uh, these Gospels as though they're biographies of Jesus. In fact, when I was in seminary, the course that I took uh, over the Gospels was called The Life and Teachings of Jesus. And it was about learning uh, facts from his life and the teachings that are found in there so that we might follow his ethic or we might obey the things that he tells us to do. Sometimes we might call this uh, red-letter Christianity, that we read these Gospels in order to get the red letters from Jesus and then the black letters uh, about him. Uh, the goal in reading the Gospels in that way, it would seem, is to capture what we might better find if we only had a video recording of Jesus' life. That if just there were some way for us to go back and to see uh, the life of Jesus, then we could really understand him. But since they didn't have video in the first century, people had to write these things down. Uh, learning Christ in this regard, then, is observing his actions, that if uh, we could see him with our own eyes, we could learn more, but we can't. We only have the scriptures. And for many of us, then, the Gospels would simply be an inspired account of his life, and therefore more dependable than other uninspired accounts of his life. In fact, sometimes in reading the Gospels in this way, we supplement that knowledge, the knowledge we get from the Gospels, with uh, material that we find in other sources so that our knowledge of Jesus can be more complete than just the knowledge we would get from the Scriptures. I want to suggest that in our context tonight, as we talk about reading the Gospels, that we can read them in a somewhat different manner. Our goal uh, in reading the Gospels is not to learn about the life through observation of Jesus, and to discover some teachings which were left behind for us that we might emulate his ethic, but instead to discover in the words of John that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the Gospels themselves identify for us how we might understand Jesus being this Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, what Peter says about Scripture is true about the Gospels. When he's recounting his own experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says that he heard a, a voice from God, but that uh, this voice is unreliable, that there's a more certain word than that, and it's the word of Scripture, as men are carried along by the Holy Spirit rather than being carried along by their own interpretations. 
and this is the key detail to our reading the Gospels in this manner, that we're not simply looking for details about Jesus, but the proper interpretation of Jesus as the Christ of the Old Testament. We see this very clearly in Luke chapter 24, a fascinating passage of Scripture at the end of the Synoptic Gospels. And if we read the Gospels, the four Gospels, uh, in the way that Irenaeus points uh, them out to us, we read them not only as four disparate works, but we read them as uh, one work, as it were, a fourfold Gospel, a four-parted Gospel, similar perhaps to how we would read as theologians the the Pentateuch or the Book of the Twelve, that these four hold together as, as a unit. And the first, the third of this fourfold gospel, the Synoptics, uh, at the very end of that, Jesus has been crucified and he has been raised from the dead and he encounters his disciples on the road to Emmaus and in their home. And in this encounter with them, Jesus uh, corrects their misunderstanding of him by saying it is written that the Christ would suffer and die, be raised from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to, for, uh, to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And the key part of that phrase is not that Christ would suffer and die and be raised from the dead, but it is written. And where is this written? It's written in the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, he says, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, or the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Gospels understand here in Luke 24 that the Old Testament Christ is the crucified, exalted, or risen, and exalted one. There's not simply the promise of one who might would be crucified, risen, and exalted, but the Christ in the Old Testament is crucified, risen, and exalted. Now, in John chapter 5, just beyond the synoptics, Jesus corrects his disciples yet again, and he tells those who had not followed him, who had not listened to him, this. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote of me. Chapter 5, verse 46. In what way do the Gospels consider that Moses wrote of Jesus? And this is the key question to our understanding how to read the Gospels in this framework, with this, with this framework and in this context. It begins with understanding that for the Gospels, the Old Testament is thoroughly messianic. In his 2000 presidential address to the Evangelical Theological Society, John Salehammer suggested that against the notion that the Old Testament is merely uh, messianic prophecy, which requires a search, the searchlight of the New Testament to understand it, that instead, the New Testament, quote, is not so much a guide to understanding the old as it is the goal of understanding the old. Unless we understand the picture of the Messiah, we will not understand the New Testament picture of Jesus. The Old Testament, he says, and not the New Testament, is the messianic searchlight. And what he means by this is that the Old Testament itself understands that it is describing the Messiah, the priest king who would come and save his people from their sins and lead them into the promised land. That the messianism of the Old Testament is not simply read back through reinterpretation of these texts, but these texts themselves 
recognize that they are describing a messianic figure, the king, the priest king. But this priest king that they are describing is one who is crucified, risen, and exalted. He is the son of God in Psalm 2. He is the son of man in Daniel 7. And these later texts in the Old Testament interpret older text, previous text, earlier text in the Pentateuch in such a way as to demonstrate this description of Christ. Isaiah 63, for example, where we have the, the one who is crushing the, the grapes of wrath, as it were, uh, is drawn from not only Genesis 3.15, where there's a crushing done by this priest king, but also from Genesis 49, the one whose clothes are covered in this uh, blood, as it were. This passes on into Daniel chapter 7, uh, the son of man uh, who is exalted and who is lifted up. So what does this tell us then about uh, the reading of the Old Testament that we find in these Gospels? They're reading the Old Testament eschatologically, and that the Old Testament reading which they have is one which recognizes the text itself as being an eschatological text. In other words, the Old Testament for the Gospels is a book about the last days when the Messianic king will save his people through his death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation. As such then, for the gospel writers, the Old Testament is a thoroughgoing description of Christ. It's not just a, a hazy picture that's back there that needs some greater light. It is a thoroughgoing description of Christ. So on the one hand, the Old Testament for the gospel writers is a description of Christ. The gospels themselves then are self-identified as descriptions of Jesus, which intend to show that he is that Christ. The descriptions of Jesus, which the gospel writers give to us then, help us to see him as this crucified, risen, and exalted Lord. Now, whereas most modern evangelical systematic theologies begin with a prolegomena and move into Revelation, and then into the doctrine of the Trinity, and then into the doctrine of humanity, and then finally get around to Jesus, the Gospels begin with Jesus because he is the sum and the substance of the Old Testament as they are reading it. When the synoptics begin with the genealogy of Jesus, rather than some notion of a created world, the reason why these uh, gospels, the uh, reason why Matthew begins that way, is because knowledge of God and understanding of his created work, seeing the invisible God and coming to know him and the life which he offers, is found only in this Jesus Christ, our one Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrines of God and creation and revelation and even humanity flow out of the robust Christology of the Gospels and the descriptions that these books give us of Jesus according to the Old Testament. In other words, it works this way. The Old Testament describes Christ as the Son of God and the Son of Man, the priest king who saves his people in the last days through his death, resurrection, and exaltation. The Gospels describe Jesus 
as the Son of God and the Son of Man, the priest king who saves his people in the last days by means of his death, resurrection, and exaltation. In the Old Testament, the Messianic king who is crucified and risen and exalted is found to be the Jesus of the Gospels. And the Jesus of the Gospels is discovered to be the Messianic king, the Christ of the Old Testament. Now, while there are abundant passages in the Old Testament that interpret the Pentateuch messianically or eschatologically, the Gospels interpret Jesus according to those same eschatological passages. The beginning of Matthew, there are two fascinating statements that one, that, that are accounts that one finds there. First of all, you have the, the story of the wise men who come to Jerusalem looking for the king after they saw uh, a star. And right after that, we're told that uh, this baby, this child, this king, Messianic king, would be born in Bethlehem. Now, what is it that Matthew is doing? Matthew is getting back to the Pentateuch through the minor prophets, the book of the Twelve. In the book of Micah, chapters 5 and 6, you have this uh, account of the king, the Messianic king, being born in Bethlehem in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, you have Israel coming up out of Egypt in Micah, chapter, uh, in Micah chapters 5 and 6. In Hosea, you have the statement which is quoted by Matthew here, out of Egypt I have called my son. But the minor prophets, the book of the Twelve, isn't simply asserting that these statements are true about the Messianic king. Instead, the book of the Twelve is representing and interpreting for us the Pentateuch in Numbers 23 and 24. In fact, in the Micah account, we are told to look back to the oracle of Balaam, once again, which you find in Numbers 23 and 24. And what happens there? God's promise of a future saving king is manifest by looking back at the de destruction that, uh, that um, Israel had faced in slavery and the freedom being brought up out of Egypt, his son coming up out of Egypt. In this sense, then, for the gospel writers, the Old Testament is a book about the last days, and the gospels, held together as a unit, is a book about those very same last days. The king who is described, Christ, in the Old Testament, and Jesus in the gospels, is the one who joins in solidarity with the weak, the sick, the sinful, and rebellious human beings in order to save them from their sins and to return them to the promised land. The synoptics begin with the genealogy of Jesus and end with him crucified, risen, and exalted, as written in the Old Testament. Not merely promised in the Old Testament, but described in the Old Testament. John picks up right where Luke leaves off the exalted Son of God, who, as Paul later says, does not think equality with God something to be sought after. But this one, who is presented to us in John chapter 1, is already the exalted Son. He is the one who is with God and who is uh, equal with God, who is, in fact, God. But he is also the one who is fulfilling the command given to Adam in Genesis 1. And so the Gospel of John points us back and makes its way back to Genesis chapter 1 via Psalm 33, 6, by means of the word, God established the heavens. What are the Gospels doing then? 
the Gospels are going back to the story of the Old Testament as they understand it, this eschatological story, a recounting of and description of Christ, to let us know that the one they are describing, that the Old Testament writers, the prophets are writing about, is Jesus. The Gospels, then, are not a midpoint in the grand narrative of Scripture, which had begun with creation, moved through the fall, up to the incarnation in the Gospels, and then press forward to some redemption and recreation, which is to come later. Rather than being that midpoint in a timeline, a biblical timeline, if you will, or even a, a narrative or a meta-narrative of Scripture, the Gospels are the summing up of the entire story of Scripture. The naming of this Messianic king, who already in the Old Testament is the crucified, risen, and exalted one. In the Gospels, Jesus is already uh, crucified and risen. He is already exalted. And in him, we become risen and glorified by sharing in his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Meaning that the Gospel writers intend for us in discovering that Jesus is this Christ, the Son of the living God from the Old Testament, to click on the button, as it were, to read the gospel accounts, the, the sayings, the actions, the experiences, the narratives, the experiences which Jesus has, to click on those and to find our way back to the description of that Christ in the Old Testament. The Bible, then, is not a, a grand narrative or a meta-narrative beginning with creation and ending with recreation, having Jesus as simply a centerpiece in the story. For the fourfold gospel, Jesus is the story. He is summing up in himself or recapitulating in himself the intended humanity, which God speaks of in Genesis chapter 1, the one who is created out of the dust of the earth the one who in the very outset comes to life through resurrection, coming up out of the ground. When we read the Gospels in this way, we don't read them as mere biographies of Jesus, telling us about simply his life and his teachings. Instead, we, we read the Gospels as describing for us Jesus by using in each instance some passage from the Old Testament, an eschatological passage from the Old Testament, so that in taking the, the summary which the gospel writers present to us, we have a window into the greater picture, which is in the Old Testament. In that way, then, the Old Testament becomes the searchlight on the gospels and not the other way around. We don't move from the gospels to try to learn about the Old Testament. We instead read the Old Testament to learn the message of the Gospels and the Jesus which they present to us. Thank you.